It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSports Chief Football Correspondent. Alex Crook is with me as always. He doesn't look very happy. I wonder why. We're going to dissect all the weekend's footballing action from the Premier League with the former England and Sunderland fullback Mickey Gray, our Manchester correspondent. It's been a busy weekend, a huge Sunday, and this is what's coming up on the show. What a big weekend we've got on TalkSport. It starts under the lights at Selhurst Park. Defended this stoutly, don't give a cheap goal away. Papsar down the right, plays the ball into the penalty. And Madison across the face of goal and it's turned into his own net. No wonder it feels great to be a Tottenham fan right now. Billy spots the keeper of his line. What a goal! Billy, Billy! An absolutely magnificent effort. Brentford absolutely love this place. For the third year in a row, Brentford have travelled the four short miles to Stamford Bridge and gone back with three points. Deep into stoppage time, it's Arsenal 5, Sheffield United 0. Great entertainment here and a fair result, it finished Wolves 2, Newcastle 2. West Ham 0, Everton 1, a huge win for Everton on the road at the end of an emotional week for them. Listen to that sound, that's the sound of Bournemouth getting their first win of this season. It is Aston Villa 3, Luton 1, quite remarkable. It's Liverpool 3, Nottingham Forest nil. Look at this body language from the Manchester United players. They should be ashamed of themselves. There is no doubt about it. The colour in this city is blue. Full time, it's Manchester United nil, Manchester City 3. Well, we're at Hotel Football in the shadow of Old Trafford, which is quite uh, ironic, really, seeing as Manchester United have just spent the last two hours chasing shadows. Uh, gentlemen, how are we? OK? Well, after that, it's, it's been a big problem, and it's certainly that first half, that performance. I did not expect to see that from Manchester United. In a derby like that, You've got to turn up. If you don't turn up in a game like that, you get caught out, and that's what's happened today. Okay, so uh, when, you, know, you can ask a simple question, how are you? Mickey's already on a rant, so we'll get to the football <laughs> in just a second. Before you get into the football, everything okay? Are you pleased to be in Manchester? I know you got caught up in a Halloween party halfway through last night. Quite fancy being at home right now, to be honest. Yeah. Not sat here with you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I thought Manchester City were absolutely brilliant today um, they could have probably won by six or seven look Manchester United were understandably nervous going into the game quite rightly so they hadn't been in great form they limped over the line against Copenhagen we knew it was going to be a big task for them today but the levels of difference between the Manchester City players and the Manchester United players are quite startling really it was a shambolic performance 
who holds the blame this time? I mean, I know we always said the mic out of you saying, can we blame the Glazers for this? But this is one of those performances, I think, where, okay, yes, that's the root cause, but Eric Ten Hag has got to carry the can, hasn't he? Yeah, before we get into that, can I have a minor grumble against the Glazers? Okay, it's been a big week for Manchester United. They've lost an icon. They've lost Mr. Manchester United. There have been two games where tributes have been paid to Sir Bobby Charlton. Brilliant tributes, and Manchester City more than played their part in that today. Yeah. Where are the owners? Are they there to pay tribute to one of their former players? Have we seen any comment from the Glazers about the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton? So first and foremost, it's always the Glazers' fault. It will always be the Glazers' fault as long as they're in situ. However, Eric Ten Hag with his team selection got it wrong. I think he got it wrong with his in-game changes. Not really too sure what role Mason Mount was playing. I'm not sure why Rashford was left on the field for as long as he is. But the players have to take responsibility. It's a derby game. Show some pride in in your shirt. Show some pride in your performance. We didn't see that from Manchester United. It was limp, that second half. It was pathetic. It was was a disgraceful performance, actually, if you're completely honest. And the fact that there wasn't in-game changes, there wasn't a reaction. When they went 2-0 down, I thought, well, he's going to make three or four changes here and try and, you know, throw them, go go, go, go after them. It's like the Alamo, just just keep going. But they didn't. They had nothing. They literally offered nothing in that second 45 minutes. And I mentioned it during the the show that we did earlier. the, The whole idea that Eric Ten Hag has been given this power by the Manchester United board to bring in players that are associated with him, two thirds of the players that have been brought in since he became the manager of the club, have either played for him before or they've played against him in the Erie division. He knows them well. So they've obviously given him power, so he has to be criticised when it goes wrong. They were set up wrong from the beginning. You and I had the conversation at literally 3.30, this, uh, 2.30 this afternoon when the team came out. And I said to you, the midfield's going to be too narrow. Manchester City will keep it wide. They'll have problems in the wide areas. If we could see that at half past two, why couldn't he react during the game? Well, first and foremost, Sam, I think I have to say what Crookie said there. From, from the beginning of the game, when we see all those teams come out, it was the wrong 11. There was no balance at all. How can you bring in a left-back when he's been crying out for one because all of his left-backs have been injured for the last three or four weeks or even longer than that? And then he plays a centre-half at left-back. There's no balance to your defence at all there. Now, where's the structure moving forward in front of that? Amrabat got took off in midweek at half-time. He got took off today at half-time. He's not, he's not good enough for the Premier League. From what I've seen so far, he's not quick enough. That's, what that's I've, a rush to judgment, isn't he? He's only been here for a couple of games. Judge what you see in front of you. He, he had a brilliant World Cup, winning the ball back for his country, and then he was, he, was, he was starting the moves off for his country. I've not seen him do that once for Manchester United. Look, we were all waiting for him because he played left-back in a couple of games, didn't he? And then we, we were all waiting for him to play in that central mid, midfield position. Now I've seen it. I just don't know where Manchester United are. What else does he bring? If he's not winning the ball back and not playing it to somebody who's got a bit more guile and a bit more quality, then what is he bringing to that starting eleven for Manchester United? His last two performances have been really poor. I feel for Rasmus Hoyland. I've got to say, I think he's an absolutely top-class player. But if that young man's not getting service from the two players who are either playing either side of him, he's going to struggle in a Manchester United eleven. And he was probably their best player today. He got took off. There was massive booze in the stadium when he got took off before Marcus Rashford today. Him and the goalkeeper are the only ones who can come off that pitch today 
and have their heads held high. It was a shocking performance. Um, okay, so I mean, look, you're very associated with Manchester United. You were in the youth ranks at Manchester United, and there's a lot of emotion about it. I know a lot of the fans left before the end of the game because they felt the emotion uh, too. From a City perspective, it was a very good performance, but not a great performance. And I think Pep Guardiola would probably admit that he thought that they could score more goals. And we may well focus on them in just a second. But I think it's a Manchester United story only because it was such a shambolic performance. Instead of analysing that, let's kick it forward and see what happens next. Because a lot of the fans that were ringing us straight after the game were suggesting that they thought that the clock was ticking on Eric Ten Hag's era. You've been a big supporter of him. You've asked for faith and patience. And the reason for that is because they've invested a lot in him. But what are you thinking now? Do you still think he's the man to bring them back from this long way back? There was a quote from Roy Keane saying that the, 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 the journey that Manchester United will have to go on to get anywhere near Manchester City is long, winding and will take a lot of investment. Is he the man to lead that project? Well, I'll go back to my point at the top of the, the show. They're not going to get back to where they want to be under this ownership. So it's almost pointless talking about who's in the dugout because they've tried with the, the proven winners, the Van Halves and the Mourinho's. They've tried with the club legends in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and they've tried now with a new dynamic up-and-coming coach who did very well at Ajax. And let's not disrespect Ajax. They're going through a nightmare at the moment, but they're as big in the Netherlands as Manchester United are in England. So it's not the pressure of being at a big club that's getting to Eric Ten Hag. So it's almost a point this conversation if you fire him you have to reset the project because you've already pointed out that all the players that have come in basically have been signed for Eric Ten Hag so I don't I don't see the point because we've so been can here he continue to lose he's lost five games out of ten can he continue to lose like that so even are you saying that even if he loses ten games out of twenty he still should have the keys to the dugout it's, it's difficult because obviously football is about winning but actually at this football club it's not just about winning it's about playing in a certain style that is the most alarming thing for me this season it's not the fact they're not winning games it's the fact even when they are grinding out wins against Copenhagen and against the Sheffield United team who might be the worst the Premier League's ever seen they're still playing appalling football that would be a bigger concern and I think he has to go back to being the Eric Ten Hag that patrolled the touchline last season the brave Manchester United manager who makes the right team selections he makes the substitutions at the right time he makes the big calls and doesn't pander to ego he's lost his way I think that is a little bit of a knock-on effect of what's going on right at the top of the football club there's no progression and that's the problem every single season there should be progression with a the side they win a trophy they get to a final they finish third in the Premier League they are nowhere near finishing in the top four this season okay so what do you do this season, at, at the moment well, you look at the next couple of games because I think we're all in agreement. Even every single game Manchester United won this season, they did not deserve to win. Well, they've been games. lucky, haven't they? I mean, yeah, they were lucky at Burnley not to be behind won. before they scored. They were lucky to beat Nottingham Forest. They were lucky to beat Brentford. They were lucky to beat Wolves. They're incredibly lucky not to get beat by Copenhagen in midweek. And I think this is the only time in the first 10 games where they've lost five of the first 10 games. That happened last time in 1986. They're going to go out the Champions League because the performance has not been good enough. Whether they get to the knockout stages or not, they'll Doesn't go out matter. of that competition early, won't they? Because everybody seems to be a lot better than them. The players that he's brought into the club have not made Manchester United better, barring Hoyland, who I want to see a little bit more of. But the rest of the players that have come in, for me, from what I've seen, have made Manchester United worse. Would you sack him? No, I don't think so. Would you sack him? At this moment in time, no, I wouldn't. But then you've got the, you've got the big dilemma then of getting to January. If they're still not playing well, 
if he I gets won't his, spend money in Well, that's, that's the problem. Is, See, there a, is there a danger, though, for Eric Ten Hag? I understand why they wouldn't sack him, because I've been saying this as well. You know, they've invested so much in his recruitment strategy that the sack him now would almost be folly because they've put so much, so many of their eggs into the Ten Hag basket. But if you're Jim Racker, let's just, you know, fantasise that actually he might well take over the sporting direction of the club. Let's just suggest that that might be the case because so much of this takeover stroke change of ownership stroke investment has been total nonsense and just a ruse really that it may not ever happen anyway but if it was to happen would is there a danger for Eric Ten Hag that he would make want to make a, a statement immediately? I think if he does that he'll make a statement in the board um, and it looks like um Richard Arnold probably is, is going to be the full guy. Maybe John Murta as well. So I think he'll start there. And then, and well, if he brings in a new sporting director, then they may have an opinion as to what path they want to go down in terms of who's in the dugout. But that needs to happen before January. If this takeover doesn't happen before January, then you're in the same situation. It's not a takeover, it's a, it's a well, partial yeah. piece of 25%, investment. 25%, 25% of the club. But then if he comes in and the money's available for Eric Ten Hag with the performances that you've seen from Man United this season, do you trust them with another 70, 80 million? Well, they won't do that in January anyway. I mean, They're going to have to do something crooked because if you're losing every single week and we're having to watch that every single week, you have to change something. Could they finish in the bottom half? Without a doubt they can. Potentially. Without a doubt they can. Look, you, they, they've been saying all season, we're waiting for Shaw coming back, waiting for Malaysia coming back, we're waiting for Wambazaka coming back. Man, waiting for Mason Mount to arrive. Yeah, exactly. He's not the only one, the mate. The players who've walked through Sophie the door have been good enough. Andre Anana saved the penalty and, and made a couple of big saves today. And everyone's, played well in the everyone's delighted about the fact that he's made a couple of saves. And that is his job, isn't it? I mean, he's supposed to be doing that. He's cost them more games than he's won them so far this season. Do you think them players are playing for the manager? Because if they're not, then there has to be a change. And I, well, from what I saw well, today, I'm not sure who Rashford's playing for no, because at the moment he's oh, not Bruno playing Fernandes very well. Bruno Fernandes is not playing very well. Amrabat's obviously not playing very well, but that might be getting used to the Premier League. It's a difficult league to get used to. You speak to any manager who brings in a player from a foreign uh, league, there's always an adaptation period. Some hit the ground running, but it's a very few number. It's a very small number that just hit the ground running. It no. takes time. You but said again, he was that's brave the last season. Yeah. Is he brave enough to leave Fernandes and Rashford out? Of the I don't team? think he is. And I think it's a problem. I, I, I pushed him on it, on, on Marcus Rashford, specifically after the game. I said, what's happened? You know, this is a guy who couldn't stop scoring last season. He had one big chance today. Marcus Rashford a year ago buries it. That would have made it 2-1. They're back in the game. He misses it. He scored one goal this season. And he said that it will come. You know, we'll keep him in chances. He just needs one to go in and I said is that why you leave him on because obviously the crowd were far from happy it was Hoyland who went off and not Rashford and he sort of flipped that around and said that Hoyland had run himself into the ground and we were protecting him but I'll tell you what if Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes and countless others they showed the same endeavour the same energy the same commitment as Rasmus Hoyland United wouldn't be in this predicament How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. towards the back post, Pinnock arriving, and he heads the ball home, Chelsea switched off at the back, Infermo produced the cross from the byline, Pinnock came charging in, Chelsea didn't see him, and he's powered the header beyond Robert Sanchez, who stood there stranded, and Brentford has stolen the lead, 58 minutes gone, Chelsea absolutely static inside their own 18-yard box, They thought there was no one coming. They thought it was a hopeless cross. Pinnock came stealing round the back from nowhere and thundered the ball home. It's 1-0 Brentford. Robert Sanchez has come up from the back. The goalkeeper to try and influence proceedings in the Brentford penalty area. Gallagher's delivery. He was up there, Sanchez. And now they're looking to counter-attack. And there's no goalkeeper. And there's only Brentford players steaming forward. Neil Mopay hasn't scored for ages. But he gives the ball to Embermo, who finishes it off. And into an empty net. And Brentford run away with the points. And Chelsea's revival hits the skids. Robert Sanchez went up for the corner, got nowhere near the ball. Brentford broke with a two-man attack. Neil Mopay hasn't scored for 34 games. So instead of running the ball into the net, he handed it off to Embermo, who slipped it into the empty goal. And Brentford take all three points from Stamford Bridge again. And the Blues are bruised. It's Chelsea nil, Brentford two. Well, talking of teams that have been disappointing at home, Chelsea once again failing to win at Stamford Bridge. They dominated the first half but couldn't construct enough chances or clear-cut ones. They hit the bar. Cucurella had a chance. Madueke was impressive. Sterling and Palmer came close, but Chelsea didn't score. And then Brentford did twice in the second half. Ethan Pinnock and Brian Embermo. The second goal was pretty irrelevant, really, because it was so late that they'd already won the game, Brentford. Um, but they always seem to have a, a game plan and a strategy against Chelsea. And I think before we go into the problems at Chelsea, and they are multiple, we should talk about Thomas Frank. He, he did a Monday Night Football where he explained how his team work differently when they go away to a top six club. I mean, it's a bit kind to call Chelsea a top six club at this moment in time. But their defensive structure was absolutely superb and their whole game plan worked. 
you've got to go in with the structure. If you're going to places like Chelsea, you go and spend millions and millions of pounds. Brentford are not supposed to go there and win. That's the last three times I think they've been there and scored a lot of goals. So he gets it completely right. And let's not forget certain players are missing from their starting eleven. Ivan Tony being one of them, who was the mainstay, the centre forward of the ball. Absolutely, yeah. So they've got players, players missing as well. But you've got players who are actually playing against Chelsea who want to go and win that game. One thing to talk about as well as um, Sterling should have had a penalty in that game. I think that was a bit of a game changer, albeit they got beat in the end, but I think that's a big talking point in the game because that was a penalty in my eyes. This is when the ball's floated over the top by Cole Palmer and he seems to get a push in the back from Hickey, I think it is, as he's about to sort of head the ball. I mean, there's no sort of guarantees that it's going to go in, or, but it, it looks like a penalty. Do you think it was? Yeah, I'm pleased Mickey's flagged it up actually because I was watching in the press room at Arsenal and TalkSport's Adrian Clark shot me down when I said, well, that's a pen. He said, you've gone soft. But my view was the same as yours. It's a clear shove in the back. If he scores otherwise, if there's no contact with him, he scores. He heads the ball in the back of the net from two yards out. And it makes a massive difference to the outcome. Of course it does. Unlike the penalty at Old Trafford that Ten Hag put down as a turning point, this was actually a turning point. I think if Chelsea take the lead in that game, it could be a very different outcome. Yeah, I mean, they created a lot of chances and didn't take them again. I mean, ultimately, that's been the story of their season so far. They, they, they dominate possession. I think only Manchester City have dominated the ball more in the Premier League this season than Chelsea, but yet they can't construct opportunities and it does worry you going forward for them because Nicholas Jackson doesn't seem to be able to make the right runs for a striker he, he seems to sort of be very static in the middle of the goal he doesn't understand I mean maybe he's Rory's young or whatever he needs to be coached but his movement isn't good enough well the big worry is Sam how much money have they spent not much, mate. Only about a billion quid. I mean, you could probably have written <laughs> off Manchester United's debt with it, but, you know, that's nothing really, is it? Can and before Tom Bowley walked through the door, I think everybody knew that Chelsea needed a centre-forward. So you go out and you pinpoint and you go and say, right, who's the best centre-forward that's available at the, at the time? And you go and spend, like Chelsea do, and bring in the best centre-forward who's going to score goals for your team. It's not work for them. They've got everything else, but trying to put them all together and, and put the glue and gel them all together is not working for Chelsea on a regular basis, which which is why they're losing games. Else? I'm not sure they have got everything else. Well, they I'm think sure they have because much. they've gone out and they think they've bought the best players in certain positions. I mean, the best players for what though? For what? For holding midfield players. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, but I'm being serious because at this moment in time, it looks like they thought, right, okay, so in five years' time, we want to be really competitive and really go for it. So we'll start nurturing this talent now, build this team spirit, and in five years' time, we'll be successful. Well, have they got the patience that might be for the that? Case. But yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Have they got the patience for that? Because I don't think really at this moment in time Chelsea have got any chance of competing the only team they're competing with is Manchester United which fallen giant can finish the lowest <laughs> I think it was quite key actually and quite interesting you, you pressed Pochettino on the fact that the club has spent a billion pounds do you think you had enough on the bench to show for yeah. that I asked billion that, pounds yeah. But he wouldn't answer the question. Well, he so said I don't was, want to talk about that. He did say it was. He did say it was unbalanced, didn't he? He said he's still unbalanced the squad, and it is unbalanced because the goalkeeper is probably not good enough. With all due respect, he played to quite well the weekend. Okay, um, and he, what would he do? Made a couple of. I forgot. If a goalkeeper makes a save now, they've done a brilliant job. Yeah, you, you know he hates goalkeepers. It's a slight problem. <laughs> I don't hate goalkeepers. But you're also asking a manager in Pochettino, right, who, to come through the door. Is he actually signing the players, or is he having to work with the players that are brought into the club? Now, is that perfect scenario for a manager who wants to walk through the door and go, right, I want to work with A, B, C, D. If you're not letting me bring those players in, who are you bringing in, so I can then start to work with those players and try and gel the best eleven who are going to work 
week by week. Listen, I know that they've obviously been hampered by the fact that Christopher Nkunku has not been available for them. There's no guarantee that well, he's, he's not a centre forward either. No, he's not. He's, he's, he's more of a sort of number 10, plays yeah, off got a few striker. Of them. Chelsea have collected them like Panini stickers. Um, but goals have been a real problem for them. They've scored just 14 goals at home in the Premier League in 2023, which is the same number of Premier League goals that Leicester have scored. The only difference is, is Leicester were relegated in May. There were some great stats, weren't there? Was the stat that Ethan Pinnock's won more games at Stamford Bridge this calendar yeah. year than Chelsea? <laughs> well, um, Brentford boss Thomas Frank has won more Premier League games at Stamford Bridge in 2023 than the last two Blues bosses, Maurizio Pochettino and Frank Lampard. That is amazing. Combined. <laughs> and, and the Blues have lost their eighth Premier League home game in 2023. Their most home league defeats in a calendar year since 1986. And the bad thing is I can remember that year too. Tottenham next. Tottenham away from home on a Monday night football, which I'm very much looking forward to, as you can imagine. Um, it's been a very tough time to be a Chelsea fan, I think. And Andy Jacobs was texting me after the game saying that is the sort of game that once you've watched it, makes you never want to watch football again. He's not the most positive support in the, the world. Best of yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, we listen to him on a regular basis after the weekend's matches, don't we? But I, I, I do think it will happen for Chelsea, but I think it's going to be too late to, to push them towards anywhere near. Oh, those I think European it will happen positions. to Chelsea. It's just the date, isn't it, that when it starts happening? Yeah. It may well be. It may well be in three or four years' time. Have they got the patience for that? We'll soon see. Uh, but I think the one thing we must do is must stick with Pochettino because he's he's a top manager and he's very calm in these situations. Um, let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur, top of the table Tottenham, top spot Tottenham, 2-1 winners away at Crystal Palace, that was Friday night, there's no point in going to the wares and wifes of the game, but the first thing I'll say is it was handball, alright, you've cost me a clean sheet for Mickey <laughs> van der Ven, it was a handball, second thing I'll say is I think they're good. I think they've got a bit of character about it. A lot of people saying that when they play someone good and they give those many chances away, other teams will score. But I think they'll be up a level. I mean, all the chances they concede are after they've won the game. Well, football is all about momentum. Sport at the top level is all about momentum. And what their fixture list has enabled them to do is build up momentum and enable Poster Cogley very quickly to get his messages across, very quickly for the fans to invest in him as a real feel-good factor at that stadium now. So I think they are going to last the course. I mean, they'll definitely finish top four and I think they'll be a lot closer to the championship than maybe people expect as long as Madison and Son can stay fit because again I, I think Richarlison as a number nine it's, it's not going to happen in fact I think he'll be out of the team now because Brendan Johnson made a real positive contribution when he came on but you mentioned Van der Ven in Jess there I think he's exceptional I mean the speed at which he covers the distances when you think as a Palace player well this, this could be problematic with Tottenham all of a sudden out of nowhere Van der Ven is in there and, he, and, he, and he's won the ball back he, he's one of the signings of the season so statistically far. the fastest central defender in the Bundesliga last year 22.8 miles per hour is his fastest speed and when he puts down the accelerator there is absolutely no catching him interesting what you said about Richarlison hasn't been a number nine since the third game of the season they switched that and put Son through the middle he's got eight goals since then he's been in terrific form They've been outstanding Tottenham this season and it's probably down to that one signing of Madison. I mean, you could probably look at Van de Ven, you look at the two full-backs that they've got, love getting forward, which I love to see, overlapping full-backs, but the big thing for me is under Postacoglu, they're absolutely loving playing for him. He's got no ego about him, he comes in front of camera, he's interesting to listen to, he has a laugh and a joke with the media, but he just says to his players, go out and play, go and enjoy yourselves. And if you're winning, that's all great. I want to see what they're like when they lose a game. 
I love the fact that those fullbacks come inside Absolutely and make brilliant. up extra numbers in the middle of the park. I think that looks. I think it gives them so many other options, and it allows their wingers to stay wide. So Kulusevski can stay wide. Brennan Johnson, I think, will be in the team like you. you Stays very well yeah. wide. Do you know what? Do you know what's good about it, Sam? And it might not be there for everybody to see on the eye, but those fullbacks pushing into those inverted positions they're winning the ball higher up the pitch yeah. because they've got more numbers in there it's making it more difficult for the opposition who they're playing against to get out then they've got to work their wonders to get out with. so when they win it higher with the quality of Sun and Madison might have, might have to make a couple of changes on those flanks as you mentioned there before even Kulosevsky I mean I'm not his biggest fan I have to say but Madison has just taken him to another level Arsenal beat Sheffield United by five goals to nil at the Emirates Stadium on Saturday afternoon. The result leaves Blades chief Paul Heckingbottom pretty much fighting for his job, really. It's because it's the worst start statistically to a Premier League season ever, which is quite some achievement. His team are rock bottom. They've managed just one point from 10 games. They've conceded 29 goals. Are they going to sack him? I think so. Um... I think it's harsh because obviously they sold his two best players just before the start of the season. He's lost Chris Basham and John Egan, his captain, two mainstays of their defence. But one point from 10 games, not too many managers survive that. And I think the difficulty for him is three of the next four matches are against sides that will be in and around them in the fight to stay in the Premier League. And I think the board will be looking at that and thinking, have we seen enough? from recent performances to suggest that actually if we, if we leave them in charge we're going to pick up some positive results from those games I think their answer will probably be no certainly the way they played against Arsenal at the weekend Arsenal scored five goals without getting out of second gear um, Sheffield United very easy to play against I think the board will feel that if they make a change and we all know it's going to be Chris Wilder if they do make that change then he might just give them a short term uplift and maybe get some points on the board and give themselves a fighting chance they're gone already they're not going to stay up yeah no one stays up from this sort of range. The only team who have ever taken one point from their first 10 games in Premier League history before this season are Sheffield United three years ago. Um, not a record that you want. And they were well beaten on Saturday against Arsenal. They only had five shots on target and scored five goals. Didn't they have the same amount of shots on target or something? Or Just, so I think was... they had 12 Arsenal and Sheffield United 10. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, are we surprised? Goal. Are we surprised at the bottom of the table and they're not picking up wins? No. Because, like you said, they sold their two best players. Paul wasn't really able to bring in players in this summer before the season started. So I think we all knew they were, they were fighting relegation, even before the season started it was always going to be hard I'm not sure about the change Chris Wilder he's been in there yes he achieved something his first season in the Premier League but when we were behind closed doors they were really poor which is why he lost his job then Paul had to take over and did he worked wonders actually getting them back into the Premier League I thought they did fantastic so he's got a bit of merit for that one absolutely yeah so make that change things are not going to change okay. in which case is, is it a bit harsh to sack him because actually as he pointed out yesterday their season is not going to be defined by a trip to the Emirates their season has started with six of the top nine from last season Sam what they're looking at right now is who can we bring in who can get us back into the Premier League the following season are they, or, are they, or, or are they emergency appointment we've got three winnable games let's try and get something from no, them drag themselves out of danger if they're clever enough upstairs at that football club whether it's Paul in charge or whether it's somebody else who's going to be walking through the door in charge of Sheffield United they've got to be thinking about next season who can we keep at the club who can we recruit and who can help us get back into the Premier League and then we can hopefully stay in the Premier League it's a long term thing because if you're thinking about it now whoever walks through that door they're going to be a failure because they're going to get relegated 
There's not, there's not three worst teams in Sheffield United. Whatever points they get at the end of this season is not going to be enough to keep but them could, in the Premier League. Could they, by some miracle, no. survive? No. Because Everton get so many points deducted that they actually only have to leapfrog two. Well, that's what they're hanging on to, isn't it? I mean, if Everton get deducted 12 points, which they've been talking about, which would now, I think, put them on minus two, they've got to start over again. So they're only three points behind Sheffield United. So, you know, it's a, it's a big problem. There, that's if they it? lose. I don't think they'll lose 12. I think they might get six or nine or something like that. But, you know, that will be decided at a future date. But certainly there are problems mounting up for Sheffield United. What about Nottingham Forest? A poor day at the office for Steve Cooper's team, but a brilliant day at the office for Liverpool. Winners by three goals to nil on Sunday afternoon afternoon it was a dominant performance right from the very beginning they've had a real problem conceding goals and actually what we couldn't believe Mickey is they turned up with a back five they changed their formation Nottingham Forest to try and keep Liverpool at bay and then conceded a goal on a turnover on the halfway line and it ended up being three on one at one stage I mean it was ridiculous wasn't it was absolutely ridiculous and that goal changes the game yeah it does and that's after 29 minutes or 30 minutes I think the first goal so then they're chasing the game after that but the second goal even after was just diabolical. I mean, we've been talking, haven't we, on this podcast about players not trying a leg and not getting themselves back into position. You look at the fullbacks or the wingbacks not getting back into position and players just running in behind them and just simple taps into the back of the net. You can't win games every week like that. Are you concerned about how many teams I like Steve are? Cooper, by the way. So do I. Well, listen, he's, he's, he's someone I know quite well. He's someone I speak to on a regular basis. I think he's a very, very good manager. He'll be absolutely furious with it. I saw him on the touchline, actually. And he, I could tell by the look of his face that it was, it was probably sort of fuming about the way they considered that first goal. But there is quite a lot of sides down the bottom of the table that were just trying to avoid being one of the three that are going to go down on there. Let's be honest, there are a lot of bad sides in the Premier League and there's a lot of teams who are going to be grateful that Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley were the three teams that came out from the Championship because barring a point deduction at Everton, we sit here now, they're, they're the bottom three teams. I think they'll be the bottom three come the end of the season. I think they're probably the worst collection of new, newly promoted teams we've ever seen. And I think Forest, Palace, Bournemouth, are all going to be quite grateful for their presence. Yeah, well, Bournemouth beat Burnley by two goals to one on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Philip Billing scored a wonderful chip from uh, inside opposition territory, wide on the left-hand side, which I think we probably would have been talking about for a lot longer if Harry Kane hadn't then chipped the goalkeeper from inside his own half for Bayern Munich in an 8-0 victory just a couple of hours later. Um, but Burnley have lost eight of their last ten matches. The first time since 1888-89 they've been that bad at the beginning of a season. There's mitigating circumstances they're Burnley they're in the Premier League they've just been promoted but is Vincent Company a bit naive well they got away with it last season and, and a lot of people will say this sometimes your goalkeeper can make mistakes and you get away with it in the championship you don't get away with those mistakes when you come to the Premier League they've made 15 changes in the summer last season they made 18 changes or they brought 18 players into the club so that's 33 new players in the space of two seasons and then trying to play the style of football that he did in the championship in the Premier League is not going to work. We've seen it with so many sides before when they've come up, they've not changed too much. They haven't got the quality to win every single game, Burnley. They've got to fight for their lives to try and pick up as many points as they can to stay in the Premier League. But playing the style of football that Vincent Company wants to play, he needs better players. And to get those better players, you've got to spend more money. Burnley haven't got that amount of money to bring the players in he wants. I like Vincent Company. I think he was brilliant last season. I think he's great in front of camera. You can see his heart and souls into it. But let's not forget he had the chance to leave that club on two or three occasions. Wanted to stay there and stick it out, but it's not working for him right now. Uh, the question I asked Mickey was, uh, is he naive? 
He didn't answer it. He just went around the houses. I said he is. Well, I've sort of been there and I said done he that. Is. We, we spoke about him a lot on last week's podcast. So what, how, does he, how does he put it right then? Well, I think he needs to sacrifice his principles and, and, and make them more difficult to beat because they're too easy to play against at this moment in time. doesn't look as if that's going to happen. And I think a, a lot of talk about Sheffield United and Luton and, and how poor they might be. I think Company and Burnley have got away with it a little bit because I think they're equally bad. And that was a bad defeat for them. But just a, a quick footnote on Bournemouth. Obviously, a lot of pressure on Iriola going into that game. Excellent goal from Billing, as you say. But I want to pick out two players they've signed for the championship. Antoine Semenyo and Alex Scott, who's going to be a real force in the Premier League. They're they've a young been waiting player. for Alex Scott to yeah. start playing because he's had an injury and he's been highly t- touted. We've spoken about him a lot. Wolves were linked with him in the summer. I don't think that was ever going to happen. But I think Bristol City may have been using them as a stalking horse to raise the price for him. But a lot of people have looked at him because he's a clear talent. Finally, he's on the pitch and finally they've started to win. Yeah, and Semenyo as well has, has made a real impact uh, he's, he, under he, he, Iriola. Yeah. But two players plucked from the championship and plucked actually from a lower half championship team. I think the Bournemouth recruitment department deserve a little bit of credit for that. Um, Everton beat West Ham by goal to nil. Certainly they deserve a little bit of credit. Sean Dyche does because they've had a, a tough start to the season, but they've won four of their last uh, six games in all competitions, which is great uh, for them. And they've started to move up the table, put a little bit of daylight between them and the bottom three. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's finish was terrific. And actually they could have won by more against West Ham, couldn't they? I know that West Ham had chances too but there was two brilliant chances in the first half um, and well, one in the first half one in the second Harrison. Harrison's opportunity where he should have played in somebody <laughs> well, else well it, it was a similar situation to the one where we were just having a conversation about wasn't it um, Nottingham Forest in the Nottingham Forest game exactly the same situation where Harrison's running through he's got two players either side of him he could have played one in when he had his first touch then he could have played a reverse pass I think it was Onana or Decore on the right hand side Wanted to go on his own, got no sting behind his shot at all. They're the chances that the top sides take. Now, Everton, I don't know if they've changed the system or their style over the last two or three weeks, but Sean Dyche has got to go back to being hard to beat. If they do that, Everton will be completely fine. OK, Villa beat uh, Luton by three goals to one. No one uh, expected anything different. That's 12 wins in a row at home for Unai Emery, who celebrates his first year in charge. Brighton did drop points at home to Fulham, which was a bit of a surprise. But then again, not really, because Fulham always gets something from the Amex. Who would have... Who would have predicted that Brighton would win? <laughs> Wolves to Newcastle two. Um, look... Yeah, let's, let's, get let, let's, let's get into this. Let's get into this. There's a couple of decisions this weekend that everyone just sort of like skates over because, you know, it's too difficult to get into it, you know, because, you know, it's all right to make stupid mistakes now. Wolves should have... Um, Wolves had the penalty given against them. Huang He Chan went into a challenge with um, someone on the edge of the penalty area. He kicked through the ground, stopped himself um, following through with the contact. Fabian Scher is trying to clear the ball from inside the penalty area and the referee gives a penalty, right? It then goes to VAR and VAR doesn't overturn it. One, should a penalty have been given in the first place? Two, should the VAR then have looked at it and gone, hold on a second, that's a clear and obvious error? As Gary O'Neill said, it's never been a penalty. Despite what you said when we were watching Match of the Day on Saturday. Yeah, I had half a barrel of whiskey yeah. by that point. It's never a penalty. A, because he, back so a, because he's making a genuine attempt to clear the ball. He's got no idea the player's going to run across his path. And B, as you say, because he's kicked the ground. Jared Gillett, I believe, watching on VAR, not a particularly good official, so no surprise he's got this one wrong. He's supposed to be a VAR specialist. Right, he's rubbish. But this is, what, this is what VAR is for. Clear and obvious mistakes. It was a clear and obvious mistake. 
you need to, you need to press the button and say, look, you've got that one wrong. It's not a penalty. Restart the game. Uh, the, the other issue we've had this week, right, that took ages. The one at Bournemouth where Rodriguez is offside, but the, the lines foul and David Coote can't get his ruler out in time or whatever. It takes five and a half minutes to decide that actually it is onside or offside, whatever it was. To me, I thought it's so tight. Just give. The, we're, we're ruling out a goal for this and. I think we've got to the stage, and I go back to Friday night when I was at Crystal Palace, when it clearly touches Andre Anana's, uh, Jordan Ayew's Jordan I, uh, hand um, in the penalty area before he scores his goal. Yeah, but it touches his body first. Does that not matter, does it? Well, so you can as, it roll down, as it rolls down his chest. Oh, yeah, man. I thought, yeah. I thought hey, if, you, if it didn't touch your hand. You can just like, pat it on the floor. You can do a three-pointer. <laughs> yeah, you can do whatever you like. Right, well, let's talk about the Rodriguez one, right? When the, when the lines came up first, it was green. Yeah. To say he was onside, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Then they went back to the monitor in the VAR and had a look at it and then it turned red. So you can imagine the frustration from Vincent Company and those Burnley supporters totally. who've done all that travelling to that game. But do you know what I feel like at this moment in time? Is that we've got bored with having a go at them. They're making such bad decisions. But because we've done it too much, we're almost sort of like, oh, we feel a bit sorry for them now because we've been giving them and too much And we've gone back stick. to three or four years ago where it was taking so long. Six and a half minutes, one of them was. That's ridiculous. It's too long. And actually, I spoke to a, a coach at a Premier League club this weekend and he, he said the whole system's flawed. And I think he's right. I think Howard Webb needs to go right back to the drawing board and, and have a complete reset. Well, are they, are, they, are they panicking because of the mistakes a couple of weeks ago when Liverpool's goal? I haven't got a clue what the problem off. is, but they're making bad decisions. Stuart Atwell has to rule out that goal for handball. There's no doubt. You can see it. I saw it. I was sitting there. I was watching a tiny monitor. I was in the ground. I saw it flick off. The, it's a handball. Fine. Just rule it out. It doesn't take that long. It's clear that the ball's changed direction. You know, the, the, the Huang He Chan thing. Come on, it's never been a penalty. So there's four or five massive decisions this weekend. You've got the Sterling one, which we all felt was a penalty. Uh, you've got the, the Wolves one, which we all agree wasn't a penalty. You've got the handball, which I think everybody watching it thought it was handball. I thought it was a handball in the West Ham game as well. I can't remember what it was that I saw, but I, I, I'm sure there was a handball in the penalty area by an Everton player, but I didn't get to see a replay of it. And I think we're not highlighting it enough. And I think the broadcasters aren't highlighting it enough because they feel that they need to give VAR a bit of an easier ride. Yeah, well, that's, that's not the, the road to go down. I think we have to keep calling them out. I, I actually respect Gary O'Neill for his post-match interview. What's the point in speaking to the referees? They basically don't know what they're doing. It is their job to get it right. That is the key thing. And, and yes, I'm all for supporting referees. I'm all for making sure that we don't put them under undue pressure. But they have to make the big calls and they have to get them right more often than not. But more often than not, that isn't the case. Can I just quickly touch on the penalty to, uh, in the Man United game, Man City game today, Sam? Oh, yeah. You the one like that, that wasn't given. Oh, the one that wasn't given. Harry Maguire, it was, well, I thought, I thought it was worse than the penalty itself. Exactly. He's hanging on to him in the 18-yard box. Harlan can't get away from him. He then falls to ground, looks at the referee. He's basically he's riding him at one stage. So why does that not then go to VAR? Don't know. Couldn't work it out. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Manchester City should have got another penalty for that. If you're, that would have been good. If you're refereeing by the standards that you started the game with. Uh, Crook, thank you very much. Have a great evening in Manchester. Unlikely. There's some great places where Manchester City fans uh, hang out. Mickey will take you there to There aren't any Manchester City fans in Manchester. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple over there. That, that, was, a, that was a quote that from Police <laughs> Tree, wasn't it? Yeah. Last couple of days. Oh dear. Don't get yourself into furbies. <laughs> 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 That's it. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's being heckled now. Right, that's it for that us. That was tongue in cheek, by the way. Yeah. Don't at me. All right. Uh, Alex underscore crook on X. Um, that's it from us. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday to preview all the weekend's footballing action. Enjoy your uh, midweek football. There's quite a lot of it in the Carabao Cup. I'll be back here at Manchester United on Wednesday night for the Carabao Cup uh, fourth round game between Manchester United and Newcastle. Who knows what score that will be? The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.